It's the time of year when we're all thinking about goals and priorities. Now is the time to plan your next trip. Whatever kind of travel fills you up, whether it's lounging on the beach, connecting with family and friends, or going on a foreign adventure, Expedia has the tools you need to plan a great trip. Download the Expedia app or visit Expedia.com to start planning. You do need to be a OneKey member to use price tracking. Signing up is easy and free. Expedia, made to travel. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. I'm Oprah Winfrey. Welcome to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is time. Taking time to be more fully present. Your journey to become more inspired and connected to the deeper world around us starts right now. Like many supersolars, Elizabeth Gilbert shares a fascination with American author and mythologist Joseph Campbell. While deeply inspired by Campbell's work, Elizabeth points out women are rarely at the center of the story. Elizabeth says we all have a calling, and it's up to us to take the lead in our own story. Okay, so let's review. Everybody is on their own hero's journey, whether they know it or not. They're invited. They're in, certainly invited. Yeah. You're invited. So it begins with a call. Yeah. Then you can accept the call or deny the call. Right. Is, do you the story think, ends when you refuse the call. Yeah, it's over. That's like, choose your own ending. You just chose it. Yeah. Your book but, is one page long. <laughs> yes, when you deny the call, though, is it the same as denying destiny? I think so. Well, I mean, no, because then you chose your destiny. Yeah, then so there's, there's like, another you know, destiny. Everybody gets a destiny. Right. It's just that you got to really... Kind of aborted it's, one. It's, it's like, yeah, you deny the I call, just, you so you deny the call, and then whatever you're on, that then becomes your destiny. Yeah. 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 And it's probably just going to not be a very interesting story. Yes. You know? Um, like it's gonna, but in order to fulfill the highest expression of yeah. yourself as a human being, I think, you have to say yeah. yes to the call. If you want to be the hero of the story, you kind of got to answer yeah. the call. Yes. You have to. Yeah. And then, then comes the refusal. Refusal. Then comes the uh, road of trials. Yes. Which I don't need to explain because we all know I what know it the is. The road of trials. And then come the characters who show up that you have to figure out how to navigate. The friends who look like enemies, enemies who look like friends, a wise older woman who gives advice, a trickster. You know, these are the pat characters who show up and, and you take what you need from them. Then comes the dark night of the soul, also known as the belly of the whale, the lowest moment where you lose all faith and you consider quitting or maybe even dying. Yeah. And in there is when you have to call upon divine assistance. You're humbled, you're broken. Mm-hmm. And you, whatever the supernatural power is that you need, you call upon it. And then the power comes. And with that recovery from the rock bottom, you learn your own talents and your own strengths. And then you have everything you need for the battle. And in the battle, what's critically important is that you lose your fear. Actually, Joseph Campbell was more specific. In the battle, the hero loses his fear of death, which is really what all fear is loses his fear of death, and then you can face anything, and then you become victorious. For Elizabeth, her own hero's journey began in Waterbury, Connecticut, where she grew up on a Christmas tree farm. The youngest of two daughters, Elizabeth adored her mother, who became a powerful force in her life. 
Elizabeth says she followed in her mom's footsteps, married in her 20s, moving to a big house in the suburbs. But after several years of marriage, Elizabeth says she felt trapped, ultimately understanding that she was living everyone else's dream for her, not her own. Elizabeth's breaking point came when she realized she didn't want to have children and no longer wanted to be married to her husband. She rejected the path established by her mother and her mother's mother before her, knowing that the monumental decision to have children was not right for her. I'm not a mother, I don't have children. That was your choice. That was my choice. And, and it's a choice, and people ask me about it all the time, and they're always a little hesitant to ask me because they feel like it's invasive, and I'm like, let's talk about this. Yeah. Because I think we all should talk about this. And, and the determination that I've come to is that there are three kinds of women in the world. There are women who are born to be mothers, there are women who are born to be aunties, and there are women who should not be allowed within 10 feet of a child. And it is very important that you figure out which one of those camps you belong in, because tragedy and sorrow results from ending up in the wrong category. And it is, of course, a terrible tragedy. Wow, what a powerful thing right? to say. And I'm in the anti-camp. Me too. I call it the anti-brigade. I wrote a whole chapter about this in, in my book, Committed, because the assumption is that if you don't have children, you hate children. You know, the anti-camp loves children. Is that, the, is that the assumption? I think it kind of is. People think you're sort or, of an or, ogre. Or, or they feel sorry for you. Like, sometimes people say to me, how do you feel now that you're older you're and you never alone. had children? You're going <laughs> to die alone. I feel all right, people. I really oh, do. Yes. Man. And you know what else I think? I think women people have to stop judging other women people based on whatever camp they're in. Oh, yeah. If you're a mother, if you're in the anti-camp, or if you're the you should stay 10 feet away from <laughs> children camp and just deal with cats and dogs. Yeah, yeah camp. No judgment. That, it's your, that we live in a world, fortunately, where you get to choose. Yes. Yeah. You should get to choose that. And, and you should think about it carefully because it's, it's an important decision. And it was confusing. I think the anti-camp, those of us who are in that, can be, it can be confusing because that love that we have for kids can be like, yeah, but I love kids. Like, I always loved kids. I still, yeah. if there was a kid here, I'd be hanging out with a kid. You know, I love, love them. Kids. But, love kids. Love kids. I'm Annie-o and Mamo. I'm an Annie-o yeah. and Mamo, yeah. I know what it feels like to want. Like, I have no stranger to desire. I know what yearning feels like. I know what desire feels like. I never had that thing where somebody puts a baby in my arms and, like, my ovaries start to... Yeah. You know, I never had that. I never did either. I never had that longing. And I thought, you got to obey the longing. I have that. You know what makes me feel that way? Walking into a used bookstore. <laughs> I'm like, oh, books. Me Oh, too. makes me ache with love like, and like longing. You're just saying it now. I could smell them. Oh, yeah. I know what it feels like to want and to love. And I never had that. And I feel like if you don't have that, and I had one of the best things that ever happened was a friend of mine when I was making that decision who's one of the best mothers I know, who seems to truly enjoy it, loves to be a mom. I said, what do you think, Margaret? And she said, Liz, it's a hard enough job when you love it. Don't do it when you're ambivalent about it or you don't want to do it. It's hard enough for me. Or think you, you should, or it. we've been married this long, or we, yeah, it, that, that in itself is what I mean by honoring your calling. Yes. At first, though, when you were daring to go on your own hero's journey and the rest of the world, particularly your mother who's done the same thing and did the same thing as her mother did and her mother did, were you 
afraid? Were you anxious about what all those other people would say? Sure. Um, yeah, of course. And ashamed, you know? Um, ashamed that you're not now willing to well, do... Well, they had all come to my wedding. Yeah. It's a little embarrassing. Oh, yeah. You know, like, hey, guys, um, thanks, for the, thanks for the china. I know. I was going to say, do you want to <laughs> say, I'll return it? I'll return your gifts. Yeah, remember, yes. it's embarrassing. I mean, it's, I mean, embarrassing is a light word for it. Shame is the real word. Yeah. yeah. Um, I made a vow. You know, like, I brought families together. Like, we had, you know, and, and I think that... But Liz, did you yeah. know when you were doing it? Was there a part of you when you were doing it? Had you examined it? You know, I'm not one of those people who can say, I woke up on my wedding day and knew it was wrong. I didn't. You didn't? I didn't, no. I was in love, and, and I was excited, and I was like, cool, this is... I, and the feeling I actually had was... That's checked off the list. You know, like, okay, married, now that's done. So I guess I'll get on with the kids. You know, I guess I didn't realize that marriage isn't just the wedding. It's like all the stuff that comes after. It's like, no, it's not done. You're just getting started. Yeah. It begins Begins. the day that you get married. Which, Liz, I must say, I think a lot of women, I've done lots of shows over the years where, oh my goodness. And we we are a culture that's created it with the bachelor and the bachelorette and the thing. The wedding, the wedding, the wedding, the wedding, the wedding is the ideal. And so many people don't think beyond it. They just don't think beyond it. Or they get trapped in the tyranny of that story. You know, that, that if you don't, go through that rite of passage, for some reason you're not a woman. And I have a friend who I love and admire so much. She's an artist and she was so successful and so happy and life full of grace. She was turning 40 and she realized she was still trapped in this sense that because she had never had the white dress, the, the ring, the party. I mean, the white dress too, honey. Yeah, yeah, right? That she'd never passed through that. That somehow she was still an adolescent. She had not yet become a woman. So she created a ceremony of her own she said, I'm going to take ownership of this somehow. I obviously need a ceremony because something in me is feeling like I didn't ascend to something. So she went down. She lives in Seattle. She went down to the Puget Sound on the morning of her 40th birthday, dead winter, ice cold. And she built this little boat and she made white silk sails like out of an old wedding dress that she'd gotten. And she filled it with rose petals and rice. And she set it on fire and she sent it out to sea. And she said, I'm letting go of the bride. I'm not doing this thing just went and had her own ceremony to say, and now I'm an adult because I just chose my own life. And I'm not waiting for some sort of affirmation that says, until this event happens, you are not completed. I just completed it. Wow. And then she went on with her journey. I love her for doing that. I love that story. I love homemade ceremonies. You're allowed to make up all kinds of ceremonies. So do, do you have any of your own? I have lots of them. Really? What's <laughs> your have, favorite? Um, my favorite is New Year's Day. New Year's Day is my favorite day of the year because I feel like it's such a miracle that you get a brand, no matter how much you screwed up, it's like they give you a brand new one every year. They're like, <laughs> here, we're just going to give you this brand new one. This it's got no dinks on it. Yeah. Like, it's got no miles on it. It doesn't smell like cigarette smoke. It didn't, nothing spilled on it. Brand new. And I'm always like, I can't believe you guys are giving me another one of these. Didn't you see what I, what I did with the last one? <laughs> like, I made a bunch of mistakes. And I'm like, who cares? I'm giving you a brand new one. So I love to get up really early at dawn on New Year's Day. And I go for a walk in the woods. And the first animal that I see, the first wild animal that I see is my totem for the year, is my spirit animal for the year. Um, and then I go home and look up what that animal means. And then I just try to keep that with me for the year. Like, this is the energy that you need to bring to this year. It's my favorite homemade Wow. Animal. Yeah. Um, I saw a fox once. That was the best. 
I was like, Cause you, my you European obviously, foxy. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so you obviously live in a wood near a woods. Yeah. 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 I guess you could make it up some other way too. Yeah. Pigeon. <laughs> Subway rat. I don't know, like you gotta be careful in an urban yeah. setting. But, but I, I love, like, and I got this idea, my friend Darcy and I talk about this all the time, about how if, if, the, if the religious ceremonies that were handed down to you aren't working for you, you can make up your own. You can invent spiritual passage ceremonies. She did this one ceremony where she, she was really in this sort of hostile enmeshment with her mother her whole life in this very tricky relationship. And one day she just lit a candle and she just had these two candles, and she had this one candle here and one candle here. And she said, she lit them both from the center candle like this. And she said, this is my mother, and this is me. Two separate flames, right? Like, until then, we've been this one candle. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is her, this is me. And she blew out the center one, and she just put them on her mantelpiece, and she just meditated on that. Two different souls. And she said it was this huge turning point in her life. And she just made that up. Hmm. You know, like, I'm going to change the way I feel about the flame that is me and my mother. And I'm going to do that on my own terms. She didn't need a priest to organize that for her. She just did that on her own. And it shifted something in her, made it better, made it real, put it in tangible forms. Did you know that it's Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month? Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, like Cardon, Kaja, Amelia George, and Hey Meave. Plus, you can help to support college access and student success when you donate online or round up in-store to APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander owned brands at Macy's.com or in store. The next generation of influential black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. The Brazilian man Elizabeth called Felipe in Eat, Pray, Love is now her husband. His real name is Jose. Both vowed they would never marry again, but fate intervened in the form of U.S. immigration. The couple had to marry legally, or José would not be allowed in the country again. The pair are lifelong passionate travelers. They own a shop called Two Buttons, filled with exotic treasures from around the world. Do you feel that you are a better partner now in marriage than you were? God, yes. Obviously, you would have to be. Because you're in a marriage. I was such a lame wife. I was so bad. I was so bad at it. And I always say to people, 
my husband always jokes, people should only have second marriages, not first marriages. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I, I say I have a happier marriage, but I'm a, I'm a better I'm a better spouse. I get the terms of it more than I do. Um, I love where I you say more. you say in Eat, Pray, Love that people think a soulmate is your perfect fit and that's what everyone wants. Mm. But a true soulmate is a mirror. The person who shows you everything that's holding you back. The person who brings you to your own attention. Love that. So you can change your life. A true soulmate is probably the most important person you will ever meet because they tear down your walls and smack you awake. But you might not want to marry them. And that quote is actually from my friend Richard from Texas because he told me about somebody who I had lost who I thought was my soulmate. And he said, he probably was, but you don't understand what a soulmate is. You think it's all roses and happiness. A soulmate is like somebody who changes you. And then sometimes they have to leave because the intensity of the relationship is so much that you can't actually have a stable. Yeah. Like your partner is something else. You know, like a, a spouse, a husband, a partner. Like, that's your friend, you know, like your partner. Yeah. Like, my husband is my best friend. And, and he's not the mirror that holds up my flaws. He's just the guy who's like, I think you're terrific. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I think you're terrific. How can we be nice to each other today? You know, it is a very, it's like not a high tension, high vibrate. It's just simple. Yeah. Showing up for each other. I like having a cup of coffee with you in the morning. Thank you for being my champion. Love. So. Yeah, I think people got the soulmate thing confused. Yes. Because they get all fired up by somebody, and then they're like, oh, we're supposed to be together forever, and it might not necessarily be the case. Whatever they fired up in you, you might have needed fired up, and then you might need them to go so that you can go on your journey different than you were. So what advice would you give your younger self? There is absolutely no advice that I could have given my younger self that I would have listened to when I was younger. Really? Yep. Um, I was surrounded by all the grace and wisdom in the world. And I was just like, no, I got this, <laughs> which I think is maybe the definition of youth. But, but if I were to have listened, which is a big, like I would have to have been a completely different person than who I was. I would have said avoid romantic entanglements in your youth and focus on yourself. I spent so much time, my God, over the amount of hours of time I spent with boys and men that I could have been, Focusing on yourself. I could speak fluent Mandarin now in the amount of hours <laughs> that I spent in my adolescence with, that, with boyfriends. But you wouldn't have listened. No, you wouldn't no, have listened. no, 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 never, ever, ever. And I would say that's the biggest regret of my life is that I didn't. And, you know, I'm not going to, like, beat myself up because it yes. is what it is. And I'm here it, and it's great. It's gone. I mean, yeah. You know, it made me who I am. But, but I wish that I had spent those youthful years just feeding this mind. And when I wrote Committed and Learned All About Marriage... When people say to me, what's the secret to a happy marriage? First of all, I always say there isn't one because we're really bad at keeping secrets. And if there was one, it would have leaked already and everybody would have a happy marriage. So obviously <laughs> there isn't one. But yeah. the closest thing that there is, is wait. The happiest marriages are the marriages that happen later in life. The longer you wait to choose your partner, the happier your marriage is going to be. And it makes sense. We make better decisions as we get older about everything. Liz Gilbert, are you having the life you want right now? I totally am. <laughs> I totally am. And I'm also learning to not be afraid of the fact that I'm so happy. You know, this is something that Brene Brown talks about. Yes. Is about, like, the fear reflex that you get. It's almost like... Watching your kids sleep. Yeah. Like, oh, my God, I'm so happy. Is something going to happen to them? Yeah. People will warn you against saying that you're happy as though it summons the devil, you know? Um, like, they'll be like, don't say that out loud. You know, like, you're just yeah. tempting fate. And I'm like, you know what? No, no, no. No, I am enjoying 
this grace and this gratitude. And I, look, I've been around. I know things can change. Um, but they're not changing right now. I know trouble can come to you at any time. But I'm not walking around calling its name. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. when trouble wants to find you, it knows where I live. It'll come and knock on my door. But I'm not going to walk around looking for it around every corner when things are so good. I'm just going to be grateful, simply grateful that it's good. And as long as I'm allowed to have it be good, then it's good. And when it gets bad again, all I can hope is that I'll cope with it with dignity, with the dignity that I've learned along my path. And I'm not going to start practicing for that now. Just when it comes, we'll face it. And until I, then, I say, ride the wave. Ride the wave. Ride the wave. When it changes, it changes. And if you believe in your and own dignity. And it will change. Oh, my God, it will. Yeah, that is called life. You know? That's how it is. And one of my monks in India used to say, if you don't like chaos, you chose the wrong planet to be born on. Because <laughs> that's the contract. Yeah. But your own dignity, your own grace, your own gratitude, you can keep that through everything if you work hard enough to. And the rest of it is just chatter. Do you think, though, you know, we were talking earlier about the dark night of the soul. Everybody has to go through one. Mm -hmm. Do you think that we can learn as much from our joy? I like to think so, but... The things that have shaped me the most so far in my life are the failures and the mistakes and the disasters. But here's, what, here's what's a very important thing to recognize. Failure, disaster, shame, suffering, and pain do not necessarily make you a better person unless you participate in turning it into something That's right. good. What was your quote about suffering? Never waste your suffering. Suffering without catharsis is nothing but wasted pain. So this I learned from a friend of mine who was a paraplegic, who had a, a life of terrible accidents and trauma, an incredibly brilliant, graceful man named Jim McLaren, and he told me that. I met Jim McLaren on The Oprah Show, a former college athlete and aspiring actor. Jim suffered two devastating accidents and was paralyzed from the chest down. Jim passed away in 2010. He said people come up to him and they say, oh, you must have become so wise because of all your suffering. And he's like, there's a lot of people who suffered who are still just as stupid as ever. <laughs> I chose to take that and to use my power, my thinking, my, my force, my wisdom to turn my suffering into grace. Otherwise, it's just wasted pain. You're just suffering for nothing. If you don't transform from it, and that's your job, if you don't transform from your pain, then it was for nothing. You just suffered for no reason whatsoever. And so? So I try not to waste my suffering. <laughs> when bad things happen, I'm like, what can we grow from from this? Yeah, I try to get on that as fast as possible. I do too. What is this here to teach me? And what did I do to make this happen is the second one. Yeah. So that I don't get stuck in blame, blame, blame. Yeah. Do you learn from the joys, though? Sometimes it takes a while. I try to. I try to. I mean, I try to really reconstruct like a crime scene. What was my part in this? You know, that, because I know there was one. It didn't just happen out of nowhere. That's right. I was the, if I was there and part of it, then I'm part of it. Yeah. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Life is a highway. 
and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. You talk about how after the dark night of the soul, the, the, the hero discovers talents and powers that she never knew she had. Yeah. What did you discover that you never knew you had? That I can take care of myself completely. I got my own back. You know, um, that I can take care of myself. And I, and I don't just mean you know, financially, I mean emotionally. Um, that I know that I became a responsible enough adult to be allowed to be alone with the child who is inside of me. Like, I can take care of you. I'm not gonna... And you know that no matter what, you're gonna be all right. I'm gonna be all right. That's what the journey is, isn't it? I'm the grown-up now, yeah. you know? Um, like, that's, that's really what it is. You know, all the myths and all the stories of Hero's Journey, the, uh, the hero returns home in the end wiser than before. And isn't that ultimately what the wisdom is, that I can conquer, can take care of myself? Yeah, and actually that's the really, I, I, I neglect to mention this sometimes, but the real mm -hmm. final chapter of the hero's journey, the climax is the battle, right? The great battle where you lose the fear and you become the hero. But the end of the story is you come back home and you share what you learned. And if you don't do that, then you don't really get the entire journey, right? So that's your obligation too is, you know, and this is why I always say to people, going on your hero's journey is not just something that you do for you, it's a public service. Mm -hmm. Because what you bring back from that to your community, to your family, will change and uplift them. And they need that, so they need you to go be the hero so that you can come back and show them everything that you learned. What is the lesson that you have learned? What is the lesson that you most want to offer? It comes not from me, but from the best articulation of this that I've ever heard, which is 4,000 years old, from the Bhagavad Gita, the great Indian epic, mm. where the hero is told by the gods, it is better to live your own destiny imperfectly than to live a perfect imitation of somebody else's life. And that, to me, is what empowered me finally to go and chart my own course, was that I was living a really beautifully enacted imitation of a life that was not mine and it was killing me and it looked great. It was a gorgeous facsimile of somebody else's dream of a perfect life, but not mine. You started out talking about quests. I think what's important for people to know is that you don't have to be the big, you know, riding on an elephant in India quest. Right. You talk about miniature quests. Yeah, mini quests, fun yes. size. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, sometimes you have to shape the quest of the reality of your life, you know, and, and one of the things that I talk about is when I was going through my divorce and I was stuck in this legal proceeding and I had no money and I had no freedom, I made myself have these mini quests. I wanted the big one, you know, what ultimately became Eat, Pray, Love, but I didn't have the liberty to go do that. I didn't have the money to go do that. I was stuck in the situation that I had to see through. And so I would give myself challenges, you know, like... Your challenge today is to go out in this world when you're full of resentment and full of anger and full of like stuckness. You need to go out there and you need to find something beautiful. and need to experience it and feel it and wake yourself up and, and, and excite yourself. And you're not allowed to come home until you've done that. That's a quest. You know, as long as it takes, you go. Your quest today is to make a piece of art. You're not even, I'm not even an artist, but like go get some materials and make a piece of art that expresses your journey so far in life. So I, I remember going to the store and buying all these index cards and all this tissue paper of different colors and just 
making an index card series of what every year of my life has been about up until now so that I could lay it out on the floor and see it in like primitive drawings. Like, oh, that's the year this, that's the year I learned this. And now you're in this year. What's it going to be next year? That's a quest. You know, a quest for comprehension, a quest for perspective. No, I love the day that you had said, that the voice had said to you to go out and find something beautiful and you come away with, you walk out and you see these, you know, elephants walking down oh the street. Oh my God, and that was the best mini quest ever. Because yeah. I was at the post office coming home from divorce court, had to mail something, full of despair, full of resentment, full of frustration. All I wanted to do was go home and cry. And somehow this voice in the post office came to me and said, you need to aim a little higher than all I want to do is go home and cry. So I created this mini quest. I didn't let myself leave the post office until I had my mini quest. And the mini quest was that very thing. You must go out in this world today and you must find something beautiful in New York City, a city you don't even want to be in right now, that you feel stuck in and trapped. And I marched out of there like ready to, am I going to march up these streets all day if my feet bleed? I don't care if I have to walk. There's something beautiful in this stupid city, you know? And I threw open the doors of the post office and there, walking right in front of me down 7th Avenue were five elephants. Five elephants right there with showgirls with spangled costumes on top, waving at me. Took me two steps out of the post office before I realized that quest. And there was a reason the elephants were there. The circus was in town across the street. But, but on that was, particular day, they were your elephants. They were my elephants yeah. because I made the challenge to myself to go find something magnificent. So do you work every day? Do you have like a spiritual practice? You know what? Not really. <laughs> I gotta be very honest. Like, because people come to me for like meditation advice and I'm always like, I, did, I meditated like five times last year. You know, like I just can't lie because I think it's disingenuous, yes, right? Yes, yes. Um, I was never good at it. I wasn't good at it when I was in India and I was in an ashram and they were, and I was doing it like with the masters. I wasn't good at it. And by good at it, I just mean... Being again, able to be still for long periods of time. It's hard for me, you know? Yeah. And, and I loved being at the ashram, but I remember the day that I realized when I was there, I'm not made to be a monk. Like I wasn't put on this earth to be, I'm not a minister, I'm not... I was made to live in the world and to find my grace in the world, in the day, in the interaction with every human being that I meet. Because I remember when I was at that ashram, this one woman left. She'd been living there for 10 years in meditation every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She left to come home to Chicago, actually, to a family wedding. She came back all bent and freaked and twisted. And she was like, oh, my God, I lost my center. The world's so crazy. There's so much aggression. My family's so insane. I'm so happy to be back here. And I thought, if your spiritual practice doesn't make it easier for you to be in the world. To be in the world. It's not serving you. Mm -hmm. Because where you need it isn't in the meditation cave. It's in the grocery line. It's in the family dinner. It's in the argument with your It's nephew. coming up for the holidays. It's, yes. It's in the workplace. And work all the families place. are, yes. You know, and so I honestly feel like I used to feel guilty that I didn't have a more rigorous something recognizable as a spiritual practice. But I thought, no, my spiritual practice is to bring the light into every encounter that I have as much as I can and to break the chain of discord wherever I can and to just, just bring the light always. And even to me when I'm alone, my job is to bring the light to me, it's to bring light to my husband when we're together, it's to bring the light to 10,000 people in the stadium when we're there. Yeah. Um, well, that's what you do, Liz. That's, that's what I feel from you. I feel that from you just sitting in the room by yourself, Aww. eating a slice of watermelon. <laughs> you we're are, gonna bring the light with you in the pineapple. Gonna, gonna bring the light with you in the pineapple. 
the thing that I loved the most in the years that I was doing the Oprah show, loved doing the show, sitting here on the stage, but after every show, I would have an after show. Mm -hmm. I remember. Remember the after show? Yeah. And we would sit and we would talk to people who'd come from all over the country. And it was like my own focus group with, with people. I was just really like vibing with people. Mm -hmm. But every day I would ask people, what makes you happy? Or what do you really want? And they first would say, I want to, I, I just want to be, be happy. <laughs> I just want to be happy. What do you want? What do you look like? Oh, I want to be happy. And then you'd say, what, may, what, what is that? And they say, well, if my kids are happy, all right, so then you get that. Then right. what is that? So how do you, what would you say to women who, or men too, you cool men, who just want to feel what you're feeling right now? <laughs> <laughs> want to feel what you're feeling right now? This seems in a really weird way like a hard and tough answer, but this is what it's come down to for me. And again, like... Everybody got their own path. No happiness without self-accountability. And my, and self-accountability just feels like it's like a chore in a way, like, like something that your parents would say to you, you have to be accountable for, you no. know? And may I interrupt here? Well, the most important thing I think you say, and you, you're saying on the tour, is that when you were having your breakdown in the bathroom, you really wanted things to change yeah. without causing any kind of problem yeah. or messing up any, anything. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to do anything. I just want it all to change. I just want it all to change. No yeah. disruption. Yeah. Certainly no consequences. Yeah. Uh, don't ask me to give up anything. Right. Just change all this. No. It doesn't work that way. No, it doesn't work Self-accountability. Self-accountability. And I have to say that the more self-accountable I become, and I'm not fully self-accountable yet because I still, you know, like, I still do it. I still, like get really mad and blame people and be like, carry resentments. There's still people that I have, like I say I've forgiven, but I haven't really, like I'm still, still working on it. But I'll tell you this, that is my goal. It's ultimate 100% self-accountability. Who is in charge of you? Who is in charge of you? Who are you gonna blame your life on today? Is a question that I ask myself sometimes when I wake up in a bad mood, right? Who are you gonna blame your life on today, Liz? Whose fault is it? Oh. <laughs> You're the boss of you. Okay. <laughs> Who's in charge of you? Because there's only weakness to be had. Only weakness to be had and waiting for somebody to change it for you and waiting for external circumstances to alter and waiting to win the lottery and waiting for the right man to come along and waiting for times to get better and waiting for something to change at your job. It is the weakest position you can stand in. And my strength of self-accountability brings me a higher level of joy than anything else in the world because there's, there's such freedom in it, you know? Like, it's just this huge expansive sense of, I'm in charge of this person. Whatever happens out there is none of my business. I'm in charge of this soul that was given to me to take care of and I accept 100% accountability for this soul. It's just a joy to talk to you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Oprah, for everything and all the light that you bring to us all. Wasn't that delightful? I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Super Soul Conversation. Thank you for listening. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean 
every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well... Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.